My name is Mari Gerard, and I'm the Managing Editor for Custom Content at Pharma Intelligence, publishers of Scrip, Pinksheet, Invivo, MedTech Insight, HBW Insight, and Generics Bulletin. This is the second in a two-part series on easing manufacturing bottlenecks to meet the potential of mRNA in collaboration with TriLink Biotechnologies, featuring discussion highlights from a recent Pharma Intelligence panel discussion. In this episode, you'll hear further commentary from a lineup of industry experts. We have Andreas Kuhn, Senior Vice President, RNA Biochemistry and Manufacturing at BioNTech, Greg Troiano, Chief Manufacturing Officer of the mRNA Centre of Excellence at Sanofi, Phil Chalice, VP of Product Development at Etherna, Albert E. Price, Senior Director for CMC Development at IRV, and Khaled Yamut. Senior Director for Quality Control at TriLink Biotechnologies. Together with Bowman Cox, Executive Editor at Pharma Intelligence, in this second episode, we will focus on the role of CDMO partnerships, emerging mRNA platforms, and the importance of locking these down early. Looking into on the analytics side, what about potency testing? Is that an area where there's some improvement expected or what are the expectations there? Well, potency is a must for your DP, and that, that still have a, some ways to go. But part of it is also is related to the LMP and how it's being encapsulated. So it gets more complicated because you really need to make sure that it's somehow your mRNA is being delivered to the cell when you're doing the potency and see the, how the cells are behaving and, and if you got the right protein and the right response. So these are things that have not been done in the past. It's been a great achievement the last few years to, to be able to do that because LMP in the past, they were used, but were used mainly for delivery of drugs to tissues. Uh, one of them has been was used and been used for a long time to deliver pain relief on surgeries. You know, like if you're restructuring your knee, there's a company that make uh, encapsulated buvacaine. They apply it on the site. The LMP there is a 72 hours sustained release, so you don't have to take opiates to, to manage the pain. But by saying that, there, there's, there was a lot of application for LMP, but it was not to deliver to the nucleus of the cell. And this is a great achievement that happened with COVID. And now we have to catch up in terms of all the analytics to prove those things and do that. And I think um, there has been some work done, but it's still a long way to go. And if you want to look at the MR, the DS, in this case, the mRNA, you are expected to look for activity. But with that, if you have the antibodies, you can do a simple IVT Western blood. You really don't have to do a cell base and you can have a much more robust method that doesn't require all this uh, tedious techniques when it comes to cell-based assays. Excellent. Anyone to weigh in on that or? Um... Yeah, uh, Andreas, maybe I add a, a little bit here. I mean, as, as was mentioned by, by Khaled, so potency is, uh, uh, testing is a, is a must, right? And I think we know now how to do it for mRNA-based vaccines, especially for one where you have like one encoded antigen. But with now products under development with more like complex mixtures of antigens or maybe an antigen that's composed not of a single protein, but of multiple proteins that have come together. I think the, the testing will become more complex because you want to ensure 
that it's not only the translation as mentioned before and which might be sufficient if you're just thinking about one protein or one antigen but really about the functionality and that would i believe become even more important if you think about approaches for mrna outside of the vaccine fields i mean there are proof of concept data and, and early clinical uh, studies um, with encoded antibodies or encoded cytokines. And I think here uh, you probably will have to show functionality of, of the molecule, uh, not only that it's translated, but it's that it's really becomes a function molecule. Again, with an antibody, you might have a light chain uh, and, and a heavy chain that have to come together and, and things like that. So it, it's certainly one topic of high criticality where I think we kind of know for some products how to do it, but we still have to learn more for more advanced and, and uh, complex products. Yeah, I, would, I think I would fully agree with that of what's been said so far. I, I think clearly potency assays are absolutely crucial. And in terms of development and analytical development, they're often rate limiting. And sometimes the development can be technically challenging so this is for sure a great area of focus that's needed for the future. Excellent. There was something that um, Greg had mentioned early on, which is the whole idea of developing thermostable formulations. Uh, it's been challenging with the COVID vaccines with the cold temperatures required for storage and distribution. What's happening on that front? Can we get it to room temperature? Yes, we, we certainly can. Um, yeah, I think storage of, of uh, therapeutics or vaccines as frozen liquids is, is not ideal for sure, but there are definitely opportunities for LMPs to move towards thermostable formulations. And one technology which can certainly help in that area is uh, lyophilization. And there have been a number of areas where, where groups have reported success in lyophilization. But again, there are with lyophilization and, and it can facilitate uh, refrigerated storage. But again, there are areas to focus on with lyophilization. So first you have to judge and assess the suitability of your lipids and select your lipids appropriately because not all lipids will be suitable for lyophilization. And then you have to look at optimizing your ratios because not all ratios will be suitable for lyophilization. Then of course you move on to, to screening your formulation buffers and cryoprotectants and that will then take you on to optimizing the variables for your LIO process. So it can be done, it is achievable, but all of these points need to be taken into consideration because it can be quite a complex activity with multiple, multiple variables interacting. One of the yeah. challenges that we found here is that the stability can become an issue even in phase one testing, whereas you normally wouldn't start developing a LIO formulation until mm -hmm. later in the process. And we found that with mRNA formulations, that if you have, you know, with COVID, obviously phase one study, all the studies were, were greatly expedited, but with normal phase one, you know, we found that if there are delays in enrolling a study that you can start to roll, run up against, you know, the stability of a phase one formulation, basic, or basically, you know, phase one storage uh, frozen. And so this is a real issue that we've encountered. And I'll also say just, you know, but go obviously going to later phases that the LIO formulation is going to be particularly important 
for an organization like mine that's that's working more on uh, products intended to be delivered to low and middle income countries. So it's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And Andreas even referred earlier to, hey, we even design our processes to some degree to protect these materials because they are instable in a, in a few different dimensions. And I think it, you have to start with understanding you know, what, what are the challenges with stability? And there's multiple, right? There are physical challenges and, and even things as simple as particle aggregation. And then there's also chemical challenges and there's the degradation of the mRNA, of course, but then also of, of the lipids. And lyophilization was mentioned, of course, you know, any type of dehydration, water is a big enemy for hydrolysis and, and, and other degradations. And, but there are also other opportunities to make more robust materials chemically. And that's in both the starting materials in the lipids and in the mRNA and then also the suspending media and, and the other um, excipients that we work with. So I think everyone recognizes the challenge. Minus 80 formulations are not commercially viable. I mean, hats off to BioNTech, Pfizer, Moderna for making that be so for, for the uh, emergency COVID. But I think long-term, we will see more elegant formulations and, and dose presentations uh, as, as the field evolves. Excellent. Uh, and I just wanted to check real quick uh, on the question of GMP requirements with this being a, a novel modality. Are there any particular issues there that, uh, that you'd like to highlight in the area of clarifying how GMP requirements apply? Yeah, I mean, maybe just to start with something we talked about earlier, which is the the raw material supply chain is, is, is of course, um, one, of, one of the most challenging because this is a new field and a lot of new materials. And as typical, there, there's not a lot of guidances that are very specific to what we need to do for mRNA. And I think we should expect is there is some leniency in terms of really where those GMP windows are, where all materials need to be GMP, or, or, or you might just have some controls in place. But I th do think as the field evolves and as the vendors and, and the, the companies producing these mature uh, I think that, that that level of GMP and, and the grade of material, if you will, will evolve commensurately. And there are, of course, many other phase-appropriate uh, components, but I'll, I'll stop right there. I mean, I can add to it. This, is, this question has been coming up quite a bit. And one of the, the way, for example, I looked at it with the experience, you know, drawn on experience in the past, you know, mRNA is... Uh, a biological molecule. And we do have a precedence for biologics. It's called proteins and antibodies. They've been out there for over 40 years now with so many of them approved. And some of the processes for making the mRNA and the antibodies have a lot of similarities between them, you know, like the cell banking, the expression, and then the downstream purification. So we really can draw back on that to see what the requirements are and start going to that direction. So for example, for a lot of the antib antibody processes, including the DS, it, the expectation is everything is a GMP material that going in. And specifically with the mRNA, all of that will get incorporated in your mRNA, which is your drug substance going into the body. So I don't see it not being all GMP and you know following those guidelines. Excellent. Now I'd like to um, turn to the question of of uh, manufacturing platforms, and in particular, how you work out 
the um, decisions about insourcing versus outsourcing and um, the emerging role of CDMOs and what, uh, what that ideally would be once to start that. Maybe maybe I can start from a, from a historical perspective. I, I think it's it's quite interesting that the, the first company that that brought mRNA into the clinic, uh, CureVac, uh, Moderna, and and ourselves, all decided at at that time to set up their own mRNA manufacturing. And it, it probably there were two reasons for that. On on one side, it was kind of that uh, the CDMOs were not at the point where that was like a common thing that, that was offered. And then on the other side, if you would have to give all your know-how uh, to a CDMO, uh, there's the risk of, of leakage of, of that know-how. So therefore, all, all these three companies um, uh, started uh, and set up their own GMP manufacturing. Now, uh, I think the landscape has clearly changed. And, and I think that's great because it makes it easier for new startup companies to get into the clinic uh, faster because, I mean, setting up your own GMP manufacturing, of course, is, is a lot of work and effort. You have to have your clean rooms, your quality systems and things like that. And uh, as I said, th this has now, now changed with really um, CDMOs with, with experience in mRNA manufacturing that they've now obtained over the last few years uh, and with a lot more interest by these companies to uh, bring in their, their own development work. Uh, I think that, that's, that's a huge advantage and, and a big step forward to make this technology broader available for clinical testing. Yeah, I would fully agree with that, Andreas. And I think currently we, we see a, a lot right now. There are many, many innovations in the mRNA field, and there are lots of small academic excellence groups, small startups and biotech, all with really fantastic ideas for, for therapy and, for, and different therapeutics. So th there's such a lot of innovation at the moment. And I think previously um, outsourcing possibilities were were rather limited, especially in early phases. But I think now we're seeing much more experienced mRNA production CDMOs in the marketplace. And the number and experience of such companies is really improving greatly. So now we see that, that a number of companies, many companies indeed, offer full ranges of services from construct design to mRNA process development and manufacturing right through to provision of, of lipid libraries, LMP formulation activities, and actually the LMP process development and, and manufacturing also. And also what's important that we're also now just starting to see is, is that we get some dedicated analytical CDMOs that are also coming into the fray that can support the manufacturing activities with improved analytics. And again, I think this particularly in the process area is, is already improving a lot. And I think in the analytical area will continue to improve as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the the mRNA supply chain, that complexity that we talked about d does lend itself very well to this horizontal integration where you have you know, companies or areas that specialize in maybe just plasmids, just mRNA, just lipids, just LMP, and, and just analytical. And, and it really does democratize um, this technology so that there's certain centers of excellence that can 
be a service to many companies or, or, or you know, many aspects. Uh, there's also, I, I do think in you know, some of the larger, more established companies, a, a need to vertically integrate certain aspects of this so that we can churn products into the clinic um, very quickly. And so I think it is a combination of vertical integration and horizontal integration across the industry. So I think it's a, I think it's a no brainer for us, for a new company to go to a CDMO for GMP production. And I think really the key question for them at this point is choosing the appropriate CDMO for the stage that their work is at. Mainly, you know, choosing a, a small specialty outfit for phase one versus, you know, a larger outfit for commercial manufacturing, which is just a general observation of CDMOs uh, in general, even outside of mRNA. So I, I just want to go back to Andrea's uh, comment that it, 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 there's a lot of truth to that. And so one of the things, uh, a trilink been making mRNAs for a long time, but it never made to the clinic. It was on a small scale. And uh, one of the uh, one of the things that led to it is the uh, chemically capping agent for mRNA that really helped quite a bit in developing new mRNAs and all of that. And is CDMO is the proper thing. It, again, it depends where you are. If it's if you're a large company that you can afford all the equipments, and specifically in the analytical side, then you know you can vertically integrate that. Or, but if you're not, you know there the, there are certain CDMOs that actually <clears throat> provide how to make the DNA, including the reagents and all the analytical services that attach to it. So it will be a one-stop shop. Uh, one of the advantages that I find. Uh, good about CDMO if they have a proper platform that mean all of the analytic developed around in, around that platform so you insert your sequence and you get your mRNA without have to worry about developing a lot of a lot of ancillary methods because you can piggyback on those so so there's some advantage that to help you put stuff in the clinic much faster and uh, you know for phase one just briefly I want to uh, before we go to questions, I just wanted to ask real quick about the importance of getting these uh, manufacturing platforms locked down as soon as possible. Greg, uh, you're on mute. Sorry, thank you. And no Khaled was the first one to just finally use that term platform. And, and, and I think, you know, we that is a very important uh, attribute of mRNA, right? If in in theory, all you have to do is change that sequence and you can have a new product. Um, you know, I think we've all learned in practice, different targets may need slightly different tweaks to the LMP and to, or to the delivery, but leveraging that platform approach as much as we can in manufacturing, in analytics, at the end of the day, there's it's going to be a combination, but really establishing some sort of generic platform across you know that, that entire supply chain and, and manufacturing and process and analytics would uh, really help streamline uh, this, this to, to bring it broadly. I think it's really, really important, you know, to um, from the mRNA standpoint, I'm going to leave the LMPs aside because that's going to require what method of delivery you're going to have and all the different ionizable LMPs that you would have to, to screen to get the right particle. Um, but in terms of mRNA, the, I think it's important to lock down the, the, the platform because that can help you a lot with your uh, in-process materials that you're clearing. Again, I, I view it as an antibody. 
you know, you have to clear all what you put in. You have to clear it out because you don't want it to be in anyone's body circulating. So with that, you know, once you lock down the platform, you have a full understanding of your process and you have all the controls being monitored. So that could help quite a bit speed up potential mRNA therapies for other indications. Yeah, just, just wanted to add one, one short comment. I, I think it's it's important to really define the, the term platform here, right? I mean, is it really that you don't do anything different for different sequences or can adapt and, and that still belongs to your all over platform? I think that that's important to consider here. Just agreed, agreed, Andreas. That that that's that that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I was just uh, looking at the questions. There's an interesting one here. I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Is there an industry consortium for mRNA manufacturing that would include both pharma and vendors that can be leveraged for aligning enzyme quality and activity assays? The current situation was reached very rapidly to the credit of numerous vendors, but differences between vendors is causing nightmares for supply chain and regulatory. Is there such a consortium or does there need to be one? It's an awesome question. And I, I, <laughs> I would say there does need to be one. I don't know. if I, I would love to hear if there is one. It's a great question. Yes, Sammy, I, I, I don't think there is one. I mean, maybe this this uh, USP initiative was was kind of the, the first draft guideline. I mean, it it talks about some some essay harmonization. Maybe that's that's a good starting point. But um, it's 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 indeed a, a very good point, uh, it, and it's it's a pain. <laughs> Yes, and it is it is an issue that we all experience. We we, we see it on a, on a regular basis, um, and yeah, it, it would be it would be wonderful to make some progress on that. But yeah, excellent question, uh, Brian. I, I, it, it is a really excellent question because that problem is not a new one. If you talk if you talk to the diagnostic world that use a lot of enzymes, that's a still problem for them between enzyme manufacturing and manufacturing in terms of the activity of the enzyme. So yes, there we you know this work need to be you know worked on for mRNA. That's a good question. This one is uh, given the different applications of mRNA that are being explored, what do you think would be the common volumes and process scales for mRNA production? Do you think we are going toward scaling up processes for commercialization or scaling out? What's the consensus? I mean, it's a kind of loaded question, and and I think it, maybe the answer is a little bit of both. Um, one thing I will say is, in terms of being able to reduce the amount need compared to other uh, therapeutics, is that or vaccines is that the dose can be so low, especially if you really get the LMP right, that um, you know, for a billion doses, you 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 won't necessarily need uh, tons of materials. So always keep that in mind and it's you know of course every product has to be looked at from a what's the therapeutic window what's the dose what's um what's your your, your scale but you know certainly we're we're moving into the kilo scale uh in general as, as an industry and, and we have for covid and, and and we will for others as well to me the wild card in that question or the, the issue is what happened you know does the promise of mRNA delivery of monoclonal antibodies or similar 
uh, molecules turn out to be a viable therapeutic modality. If it does, then I think the, the amount of scale up required for that could be very, very significant compared to, to vaccines other than COVID, of course, just because of the sheer numbers involved there. But I think that question of whether or not you can replace monoclonal antibodies with mRNA delivery, if that pans out, the broad usage of that would require a lot of scale up. Yeah, I think uh, I think all manufacturers have been increasing scale and new technologies have been facilitating this. And again, especially bioreactor technology in the upstream. You also have the, the advent of uh, automated manufacturing systems which again can contribute to, to increasing uh, increasing capabilities and scale uh, and, and volume. And I think those are important aspects also. I think many of the many of the important and innovative ideas currently are in early phase. And so I, I think as an industry and as a production industry, we, we have very good capabilities to deliver to the scales for early phase needed. But the, the real challenge, and again, still, will be in the future as we, we tend to scale up. So improving our scale up and improving our large scale capabilities is, is of, of great importance. Thanks so much. I'm gonna to try to squeeze in another question here. After capping reagent in ionizable lipid, which raw materials are the largest drivers of cost of goods? Well, maybe, maybe I'll tell you, I mean, it, again, it's a difficult question to answer because it actually depends, right? If, if you, in fact, if your dose is low enough, your 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 vials or or, or syringes will be your biggest right. cost of goods. Um, but for something like a therapeutic, where you need a bigger dose, certainly the the enzymes and the ionizable lipids are are your 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 biggest drivers, as well as your PDNA, depending again on on scale of production. So it's a little bit of a loaded question, but but honestly, the best thing to do to reduce cost of goods is drive the dose down. Yeah, and, and I think clearly the question has identified the two most important contributors to increase cost of goods, and those would certainly be the places to start with working with uh, reductions in cost of goods. And maybe as Greg mentioned, PDNA could be the next one along with certain enzymes. And again, yeah, to look at alternative enzymes, alternative NTP sources is, is, is also a good strategy. Yeah, I just wanted, wanted, wanted to add here. I mean, the issue with, with, with the DNA is, I mean, that's not something you can stockpile, right? I mean, you, you, you need a new sequence for, for every new program. I mean, your polymerase, you're going to probably use the same, your NTPs, and they are the same. Uh, and and uh, therefore, their cost of goods is, is kind of like a different kind of, like the, the scale uh, is, is a different factor here. Well, that concludes this two-part series on easing manufacturing bottlenecks to meet the potential of mRNA. I would like to thank all of our speakers for participating in the roundtable discussion. Andreas, Greg, Phil, Albert and Khaled, our moderator Bowman, and our sponsor for the discussion, TriLink Biotechnologies, for making this whole series possible.